you got to talk to that monitor, right, Mr. Monitor, because you know when you get on that first tee, Mr. Monitor is present in a way that he's not present on the range. That's why it's really important to figure out ways to simulate competitive stress and pressure. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another par train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. We help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game with anyone from a PGA Tour Pro to a golfer like you and me to help you get back on track and make the hardest game in the world feel super easy. So another episode of The Par Train. Guys, you are in for an absolute treat. Before we get to a preview of this episode with Ward Jarvis, mental performance coach on the PGA Tour, coaches all types of golfers across the amateur and pro scene, we do have to give a shout out to our friends at Roback Activewear. I am currently traveling right now. I am in Bali with my wife and the Roback polos mixed with the Roback Everyday shorts are the most versatile outfit ever. Unfortunately, not getting any golf in this trip It'll be the longest stint of no golf on a vacation I can remember. But Everyday shorts mixed with the polos is everything you want in a vacation. I can wear it to dinner. I can wear it to the pool. I can wear it out and about. That's the kind of packing that I like. Get yourself some new polos and some everyday shorts. Roback.com, enter the code train, get 15% off, and you guys are going to love it. I've never seen anyone who gets Roback stuff who doesn't want to get more immediately. Okay, now on to this episode with Ward. He's mostly well-known for being the mental performance coach of Brennan Todd. Brennan almost won the John Deere a few weeks ago, and we actually talked to Ward right after that. We wanted to bring Ward on because we've been getting questions from you guys. And one of the questions that I've been getting a lot of is, how do I deal with the big miss off the tee? And this is something that's close to my heart. I fought this for forever, really, forever from what I can remember. So the reason why Ward is such a great expert in this area is because Brennan Todd brought him on when he was fighting a big miss on tour. He almost quit the game. He was missing it at least 50 yards right in tour events and thought about quitting the game. And then once they started working together, he won back-to-back tournaments, almost won a few weeks ago, like I said, and now is top 50 in the FedEx Cup race. So quite a story. And we've been getting questions from you guys, and we thought, let's bring in some past guests, some of our favorite guests, and address these things. Because sometimes you just want to go straight to an episode that focuses on the one thing you're, um, you're struggling with, in this case, the big miss. So we went deep with Ward, on this, and I think you guys are in for a treat. So if you like this episode, do us a solid. Hop aboard the email list at thepartrain.com. Scroll down, put your email there, totally free. I'll send you my train of thought newsletter for free every Monday, and you'll get first access to merchandise drops before anyone else on social media. And hop aboard our YouTube channel. We're doing more videos, got some great series coming that's gonna help you get back on track as well. And no matter how you're hitting it or how big of your miss is, what do they gotta do? I'm asking myself, because Sir Mac's not here with me right now for the intro. Enjoy the ride. Take care. Welcome aboard the train, Ward. We were just joking, and we think this is your fourth time, which is rare air. How do you feel riding the train the fourth time? Yeah, it's uh, great to be back on the train with you guys, and let's have a good ride here. Does the fourth time feel any different to you, Ward? I've lost track by now, right? (laughs) Maybe a little bit more comfortable. The seat's kind of welded to your to your frame there. Feeling good? We're in first class, aren't we? Love Business it. class is nice. Business, you're I've in business it. class. I've You've been it. upgraded for sure. <laughs> well, Ward, we told you we might not spend the whole time talking about Brendan Todd, but we got to start there because of last week, finished second at the John Deere. He was there. He was close, right? And Serm and I were wondering, do you see anything different in Brendan? in form in 2023 that is different when he's been in form in previous years obviously 2019 he kind of broke through back-to-back wins after you know some struggles there before and you guys started working together is there anything different about brendan in 2023 that you attribute the form to that maybe our listeners could learn from well, you know, f- fortunately for us, everything looks about the same, and it kind of feels feels the same too, right? 
in 2020, it was so good. You know, it's 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 kind of when things get ju- just a little looser or a little off, you know, it can feel like it's way off. And we have to remind ourselves, hey, you know, things aren't that bad. You know, we're just missing a couple fairways here rather than, you know, going a whole tournament without missing a fairway. So it's just been a matter this season of just tightening up the ball striking just a little, especially off the tee and just keeping it in play just a little more. You know, you don't have to be perfect in this game at that level, but you've got to create chances. And so he's definitely best from the fairway, you know? And so had a great week, of course, off the tee and, you know, his his iron play was probably a, a little better than it uh, has been. And uh, he, he had a great putting week. And so uh, the, the putter pretty this good, season. Pretty good combo. Yeah, yeah. The, the putter this season has been cold at times, which has been kind of un-BT-like. But it's also been hot. But he had a really consistent week on the greens. And he was 19 for 20 in scrambling. So uh, that's pretty pretty incredible so cool week you really had a chance there on sunday like you said but it's yeah, hard yeah, it's hard to, no, I, I thought seth those was birdies shoot. being made yeah yeah i thought seth was going to shoot like a 56 or something so it was just a yeah. it was it was weird in that regard you know i, I knew I, I thought it would take at least another 66 to get it done and uh it w- would have i think well uh, i kept saying 2200 and then seth gave everyone a gift there on 18 and uh had a chance, but yeah. On that we'll, note, we'll or just real quick on on Sunday, did you and Brendan talk about that after of the mindset of you're in the lead going into Sunday? You look at the leaderboard. I don't know if he did. I assume at some point he looked, and you see someone having this career day. Probably be pretty easy for your ego to try to make something happen, get a little frustrated by that i mean did he have to stay really present i assume and just keep doing his game plan yeah you know in this game things can change so quickly right and so in a sense you know with a guy who has a five shot lead there's kind of the pressure of winning is kind of off in a sense and then you know when, when that lead gets the you know, quickly to three, then two, then things kind of shift right back the, right. On, onto the pressure of winning. So in a way, he kind of had the, I would say the pressure of winning was kind of absent for a lot of the round where we expected it to be. But he also had the extreme pressure of, you know, he, the higher up he finished, the, the, the better. And there were so many up at the top. You know, I think, I think it was uh, still an extreme type of pressure, but it was just, you know, keep playing well you know he turned it two under which is a great score on 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 that front nine you know he did all his damage on the back nine played the front nine consistently so it was just that typical things change quick in a round of golf and you know like you said you just got to stay so focused on what you're doing and stay in your lane you know knowing that you're playing great golf and anything can happen yeah so, Ward, I think as you know, what we're going to get into today is the topic of the big miss. As as players, we all deal with it, and we're going to re- probably focus more on off the tee, you know. And obviously, you know, BT had struggled with that, and now he's re- you know pretty good off the tee. But you did say we're trying to tighten things up off the tee. So, like, help us understand what that means, because from my experience, I, f- I drove the golf ball pretty well last couple of years, but I can, I had those moments more last year. It could be seven, eight holes in driving it fine. And then I whole hook it on a dog like left because I'm a natural fader and it gets into my head. Like, is this a swing issue? Is this a confidence issue? Obviously with BT, you know, the margins are, are thinner, but like, tell us what you're working on there because, you know, missing fairways on the PGA tour can, be a first or second place, right? And so talk talk us through that. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about what we call uh, perception of control points. You know, the golf swing is obviously the, 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 there's a lot of moving parts, but, you know, I think the challenge is to find ways you can think about the golf swing and at different aspects of the golf swing and ask yourself, 
you know, which aspects have a more, can I have a more higher perception of control around? And sometimes that's just a matter of you go to your swing coach, they give you four or five things that they want to see happen in your golf swing. And then you just ask yourself, kind of rate those in an order of, I think I can do this more under pressure versus this. And so you really want to find those th- those points that you feel like you can control and then let the other three things that that ideally should happen, l- let them happen more as a result of those one or two focus points. So, you know, I tell people a lot, I, I use example like in chipping, like if you're having issues at impact and you go to instructor and maybe they give you the advice, well, you just get the sensation of uh, brushing the ground. Well, if someone who's really struggling at impact hears that, you know, it's like, duh, if, you know, if I could switch the ground, I would, but that's the one thing that's kind of eluding us. So a lot of times in that situation you know same with the driver if the issue is an impact you know we've got to figure out some some place to put our attention other than impact and you know uh, bt's been real you know part of his story is that you know a lot of his dna involved a lot almost kind of opening it up (laughs) going back and he got away from that because it's not really modern teaching Uh, modern teaching teaches a lot of you know square to even close going back to launch it and all that stuff but he really had to go back to that because that's where he really does well under pressure. That's how he moves best under pressure. And so, you know, in the chipping example, it might be, you might work better with like a takeaway thought or, you know, a setup thought or, you know, how my head's going to move in the swing versus uh, just being so, um, you know, hell bent on just brushing the grass. So a lot of that kind of carries over into the driver's swing and, the confidence that that goes along with that. But, you know, it, you know, we all have a perception of control around something. We just have to find that for ourselves. So I love that it's perception of control. Right. And I also love how, you know, you're a mental performance coach, but in this realm, and this is actually very true for me too. And I've totally changed my whole vibe and confidence around the tee shot. Whereas a year or year ago, it was like really bad. Right. But what you're talking about is how the physical can impact the mental and back and forth. And you posted this great quote on Instagram. I'm going to read it. It's from Dave Phillips of TPI. He says, if you understand how you move, then you'll know how to get better. I'd add, if you understand what allows you to move best under pressure, then you'll know how to get better. The best know how to think about moving well under pressure. And, you know, I don't want people to mistake this as I just have to keep trying different swing feels until I find a good one. But in certain standpoint, you have to understand what works for you out on the course when you're under the gun and what you feel confident in doing when you're on the course under the gun. I've done so many things at the range that produce really great things. But the second I'm out on the course, I can't trust it and I can't let it go. And so literally this is kind of defining my latest good form, which is feeling like I'm letting the ball or letting the club go through impact is something that I can really repeat. And it really helps me when I'm feeling uncomfortable. And so I think that's really important for people to hear of like, you got to put stuff to the test and then you have to have a good mental process, but you also have to see what physical lines up with the mental. Is that fair to say? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. You have to find what what that is for you. I mean, what those cues are for you. You know, it can revolve around, you know, thoughts we're thinking, you know, where our attention is going and down to the very voluntary movements we're making. You know, a lot of times, you know, so much in the golf swing is uncontrollable under the gun, right? I mean, you know, I compare it's a totally different motor pattern involved in hitting a golf shot. It's a voluntary movement at the end of the day. That's why all the advice just to see and shoot and just respond to your target, I, I don't see how that relates to golf. It's like assuming that, it, like in baseball, like when the center fielder is on the run, gets the ball and throws that's a totally different motor pattern than the pitcher starting from scratch that matters under the gun 
right? Because the golf swing has to be initiated consciously. It cannot be initiated unconsciously. There has to be some conscious element. And so the cues that we're setting up, you know, in our processes that allow us, you know, to really lock in and have a higher perception of control in that moment of initiating our swing are, are so are so crucial, right? Because, you know, like I said, golf is just the ultimate starting from scratch type of movement. So Ward, so, I love what you said about the conscious part, right? Mm-hmm. You got to have some sort of trigger, right? To get you to go. So for somebody who's struggling off the tee, whether it's somebody who struggles on every tee shot with a driver or that big miss kind of comes out of nowhere, throughout the round and really derails that player. How do you get thinking about a healthy trigger? Like, I think you've also, you're also getting at everybody's a little different, but like w- explain that process because ultimately you don't want to be swinging the golf club unless you feel at least somewhat committed. Right. 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 Well, I think at the end of the day, you have to, what I call kind of strategically occupy your mind. You know, I take a lot of players through a series of, of swing initiation drills. And I, I say, Hey, look, you know, you, you may not take, take a lot of these into play, but I think it's important that you, you do all of them in a segment of your practice, because what you're, you're doing is you're, you're reminding, you know, in golf, we get into ruts so easily yeah. and the brain is just like the brain is just crying out like, Lord help, give me a different experience. Right. And totally. From a competitive angle, you want to give your brain a different experience, you know, through through the right means, right? Because the, the other is not really sustainable. Finding your, your ways to, um, you know, create those n- new experiences, you know, are, are, are key. And so, you know, some of the swing initiation drills, you know, I'll, I'll have a, I'll have players. I got, I've got a drill called the, the, the one look drill, which that's where you, you stand behind the ball and you, um, are able to visually identify a target, but once you get your target, your eyes have to go to the golf ball, and they have to stay on the golf ball. You have to walk in looking at the ball, stand over the ball looking at the ball. Yeah. All the while, you know, you're wanting to look out because that's what you normally do, but in this drill, you can't look out. And again, it's just a drill, but it gives your brain a little different experience of something it's always done, hitting a tee shot. Totally. And you'd be amazed, more players than not, usually stripe the first three or four. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like a trust deal. Like I could, my issue really isn't aiming, you know, it's just kind of staying out of my way. Another drill I have players do is like come up with like a golf related phrase, like how, where you want your attention to be and initiate swings while you're saying that phrase. And, you know, my players will have to hit, four or five balls to kind of come up with the, the right cadence to say the phrase that matches up with their swing. But, you know, some of them have had really, um, you know, r- 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 really good success by simply, you know, saying that phrase. And a lot of them have, have taken into play, you know, uh, yeah. my partners are really playing great this summer and that, that they were kind of in a driver funk. I can totally relate. I know Ev, you want to jump in here for me a little bit with the driver. I'd say this past year, my phrase has been slot it, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, when I'm on the range, I work, try to get that right elbow under the right peck. So mm-hmm. I can get, you know, but I can't be thinking, oh, right elbow, you know, but to me, especially when over a drive that feels a little uncomfortable, just by the shape of the golf hole, it's just, you got to buck up and hit it, slot it. That it sounds like an you, offensive kind of aggressive it, thought yeah, to you, right? It motivates me to just freaking do it, right? Yeah. So yeah. I love the phrase. And think about the automatic nature of slotting it, you know, right. for you. If you if you feel like, you know, you, you can work yourself into doing that under pressure, then just think about, okay, you want your attention to, to move away from something onto that. So right. you know, your phrase would, you know, might be away from wanting it onto slotting. Well, this know, is so good like for that. the listeners word, because this is a situation where I'm on a tee and I am a little uncomfortable with what I'm looking at, right? Like there's trouble left. There's trouble, right? We all deal with this. That phrase has allowed me to just block out for a split second so I can pull the trigger and go. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, golf gives us endless experiences of wanting, you know, I tell people yeah. it's like an essential <laughs> moment of golf, you know, 
and it's both on the positive and negative end. You know, we want to do well. We don't want to screw up. We want to look good. We don't want to look bad. You know, we want to come through. We don't want to disappoint ourselves. You know, we want our practice to pay off. It's just one wanting experience after another, you know, yeah. whether you're on a PGA tour or playing with your friends every week, it's, and so managing, you know, we're not going to get that wanting to go away. It's like caring. You can't turn that, turn that off and on. But what you can do is that you can move your attention around it or off of it temporarily in order to hit a golf shot. So one thing that I think is worth us talking about for a second, because I really want to dig into Brendan as an example, because he came to you for this. And I'd love to understand how you guys started working through the big miss and the swing yip that I know he struggled with. But first, I think it'd be helpful for the listener to understand what's actually happening when you go to the, the course and you keep struggling with the driver. And the way I've understood it, Ward, you keep me honest and correct me where, where necessary is. Obviously, your brain is designed to close loops and to stop pain, right? So anytime you have pain or you fail, your brain saves that information and it does everything it can to not experience that again. It's why someone that went to war comes back, here's a firework and has that stress response, right? That's PTSD. It coordinates, it coordinates future movements right. based on past experiences. Right. And past ways we've interpreted those experiences. Exactly. So, yes, it's 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 crucial in in how it coordinates. So if any of our listeners were anything like me for the last few years, that means that every time you step up to the tee box with a driver in your hand, your your brain is inherently trying to not fail again. And this club becomes failure because when everyone else is in the fairway, I know how painful this is. All your buddies are in the fairway or somewhere near the fairway, but in the hole, right? Playing the golf hole, you're 40 yards right. You're in the shit to the left. It's a constant search for the ball. You're constantly scrambling. And it's almost impossible for your brain to not want a new experience, right? To want a different experience, to not be the guy that's constantly struggling because of this club. So that means that every time searching you step- for, Searching for the positive. Yeah. So every time you step into this shot, no matter what you say to yourself, if you don't have a real process to create a new experience or have a trigger or have a new process, it can be very subconscious and involuntary to have a last second manipulation to try and prevent something where that wouldn't happen on the driving range because that consequence isn't there. Right. So Talk about that a little bit. I think this context is really important to help people understand why it's happening. Yeah, we ask ourselves, okay, why does that happen less, if not at all, on the range? And it comes back to, you know, the, the brain has two capacities when it comes to movement, especially voluntary movements, okay? It has a production capacity. It's doing things to produce the movement. But it's also doing things to monitor the movement, such as the likelihood of error such as the, the, the real-time error monitoring and the adjustments it's making and the, the inhibition it's throwing up halfway down when it feels something is off, you know, the, the slowing down, the stalling out. On the range, I call it Mr. Monitor for lack of a better word. You, you've got to talk to that monitor, right? Mr. Monitor, because, you know, when you get on that first tee, Mr. Monitor is present in a way that he's not present on the range. That's why it's really important to figure out ways to simulate competitive stress and pressure in performance type games. But yeah, that the, the monitoring is, you know, looking for things like error likelihood, the level of anticipation, you know, your, your vitals, you know, are you feeling in control or out of control? And so again, the, the, the more things that you can do to control some of your thinking, some of your attention, some of your voluntary movements, you know, leading up to the initiation of that golf swing, the, the, those are the type of real-time inputs that are going to be picked up on in a good, good way by that monitoring. And at the same time, you know, the, the, the whole notion of just, well, you hit a bad shot, you just got to move on. Well, you know, there's two senses of that. Of course, during a round of golf, you can only make so many adjustments, right? But yep. 
if you have a really bad memory, you don't need to just move on from that memory after the round. You need to kind of go through a process of what I call kind of filtering your bad memories because the way memories work is they're pliable, you know, and it is kind of a form of trauma in a way. You know, trauma is just basically like disruption at the end of the day. And especially if we put a lot of it into golf, it can process in the, the brain as a type of trauma. And so we have to kind of go back and I say, you know, that's why I say, you know, never waste a bad moment or a bad memory, but take that back, back into your, your practice or your habits off the course and see yourself succeeding and actually go through your process where you're deeply visualizing that scenario and the thoughts around that scenario and the, the circumstances around that scenario and see yourself like, you know, start from a negative feeling and practice and then, then work your process. So so the next time you're in that similar situation with similar patterns presenting to the brain, the brain's not going to simply draw on what happened on number 16 in the last round of the John Deere when I three-putted. You know, it's going to draw on all the work you've done on that memory ever since. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think so, what's so so hard for players, and I think, you know, you've kind of gotten to talking about your game a little bit, is when you get on that tee, right. And you see trouble, right. Trouble left. And you're struggling with your driver. It's so hard to envision what kind of shot you want to play. It's so hard to lock in on a target. And then it's, and it's like, your plan is like, it's like, there's this, this feeling yeah. and there's a plan and the feelings just cutting through the plan. It's also and hard you, to believe you can hit your target. Right. And you get to this point where you just, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Okay, so here's a question. You know, when the target becomes elusive, should we think about the target while we swing? I say probably not. I mean, thinking about the target is the one thing we want, right? The one thing that's eluding us. Why would we put attention on that during our motion? You know, I had a great player, great conversation with a major champion walking down the fairway at the Players' Championship this past, past year, and he said, you know, all that – he said, of course, I think about a target while I'm setting up and stuff with my driver. But once I've got my target and I'm oriented, like that's the last time I think about my target or what this ball is going to do. Yeah, I think it's just completely present with maybe a swing thought. Right. So I think swing thoughts kind of get a bad rap. But for him. But a swing feels there is building normal. up that perception of control versus holding that holding the image of what the ball is going to do. Now, mm -hmm. on the flip side, he may be very comfortable do, doing that with clubs other than the driver, you know? And so your process doesn't have to be exactly the same for all shots. So you guys really did it. You guys blew that Meridian putters giveaway out of the water. That was maybe our biggest giveaway we've ever done. It was like a thousand comments. It, it was going all over the internet. There were scam accounts created to try and scam people out of winning. The people that got their five putters are over the moon. The other five that they made sold out immediately on meridianputters.com. So now that we've gotten through the open championship and the exclusive open championship themed putter from Meridian, I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about them because I didn't have a, a lot of opportunities to do that because the focus was the giveaway, but I actually got the chance to visit their plant and their warehouse in Wisconsin. I'm actually blown away by what they're doing, okay? I don't know if you guys have realized this, but recently, I'd say in the last few years, I've noticed, like, why are normal stock putters now, like, $400, $500? Like, I used to accept that, like, a Scotty or a Bettinardi was, like, three to four to five to $600 because they're in the little cases and the corrals in the store. But now I'm seeing TaylorMades, Pings, Callaways, for like at least $350, $400. And it makes no sense. I think inflation costs have gone up. People are still paying it, but I don't think you should. Okay. So Ryan at Meridian Putters, to give you a little context on him, had a manufacturing company. He would mill parts for aerospace industry, for rockets. And he has these million dollar machines. He sold his company and he's like, all right, I really want to do something that I care about that means something. And nobody has machines like these. He has CNC milling machines that are fully automated. So it doesn't even need to be manned. He plugs the information in and it takes a single block of stainless steel and cuts away 
millimeter by millimeter until a perfect putter comes out every time. And he can do that while they're sleeping. So because of his technology and because he cares about giving back to golfers and believes that everybody deserves a milled perfect putter, that's what Meridian is about. You can get a custom milled putter starting at 250 bucks. Like, just think about what I just said. A $250 putter now is a basic putter you can get on any putting crowd. Like that is the floor these days. It's not even the floor. It's it's almost underneath the floor. That's a basic starting price. And you're getting a Bettinardi Scotty Cameron level putter. You can make it whatever you want. I got a little par train logo. I got an enjoy the ride on the sole. You can pick your face options. You can pick inserts. You can pick the finishes. You can pick your hosels. You can pick head types. Like just picture how amazing it is to be able to go on meridianputters.com and say, all right, I'm going to build the perfect putter. They joke with me. They said they don't want you spending $600 on a stock putter. They'd rather you go play Pebble instead. So go to meridianputters.com, enter the code train, and guess what? I got you guys 25% off. So if you got a $250 putter, you now got a $200 putter. Milled to perfection, whatever specs you want. Meridianputters.com, enter the code train, get 25% off, which is crazy, and craft your perfect putter. They believe there's a perfect putter inside all of us, just like there is inside a single block of steel. I got mine, and I'm telling you, it's true. Enjoy it, guys. I can't wait to see what kind of putters you build. Meridianputters.com, enter the code train, get 25% off. All right, let's get back to the show. This is so big. I, w- I really want to hammer this home Good for stuff. our listeners because- when you say the thing that's eluding us, if you keep clinging on to the thing that you can't get, it's creating a negative spiral. It's creating a stress response. So it's it's actually working with what you got there with that yeah. example of saying, okay, well, I can't really, I keep trying to cling on to a target. Well, I don't have much belief that I can hit that target. When I look at the target, I see where I don't want to go because of all my bad memories and I haven't processed those memories. So I'm up there. My heart's beating out of my chest. Maybe I need to focus on have a new experience to your earlier point. And maybe that means focusing on staying in my posture with really great rhythm or holding my finish like Rick Sessinghouse has told us, which is really helpful thought on the first tee because it's a sensory feel driven swing thought that you focus on that you're taking yeah, the target, I, which is taking you away from it potentially. Yeah, but this is what I would say. It is like you. The, I think the target's got to be first, and then you can have that thought. Like, oh well, yeah, you got to know where you want to like, go. I, like, we're like, I don't think we can. If it's elusive, that doesn't mean we can forget about it. It's like, all right, you know, cut off the left bunker lip. Okay, got it. Then I'm getting. Yeah, walking I'm, the I'm talking more like like yeah. what's going through our minds like while we're swinging and initiating. Yeah. Or I'm not talking about like walking into the ball or or our work but behind the ball. I'm just talking yeah. about, I call it a swing focus. What, what do you want going through your mind while you're making the motion? While well, you're making- That's fascinating, right? Think about this. I'm like, I don't think anything's going through my mind when I'm making the motion. Like, is well, there a I, test I, on I, that? Ideally, yeah, I mean, ideally. Ideally, nothing would be going through your mind, but, 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 but there's stuff struggling. going through my mind as I'm walking you know, up to the ball before I hit it. But when I hit it, I don't know. It's inter- I think, but see, this is why thoughts, it's so great that we have both of us, it's right? Bad. If because I have bad thoughts walking in, it's going to, he doesn't struggle off the tee, does he? Yeah. So oh, this guy <laughs> for a while, but yeah, no, here's, what I, here's while, what I would so say. You had to work yourself out of that. And then, yeah. then once things get easier, it does become naturally more quiet. If I, yeah. Through, yeah, this is the difference. I think maybe between that, because I have struggled off the tee in college. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. If I don't have, if I don't feel good walking into the ball, I got no chance. Like, you know what I mean? I don't think I can save myself. I really have to like get to that place. And if I do. Isn't that, isn't that the beautiful yeah. thing about golf though? It's time related <laughs> pressure at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what, what do you do if you're not comfortable? I mean, do you just, just not hit the shot or pull up a lazy boy and just chill out for a <laughs> bit? I mean, you can't do that in competitive golf. Yeah. It's like Sergio used to get, you know, he couldn't pull the trigger when he first started. I mean, stuff, right. gets, stuff doesn't get weird until it gets weird, right? Right. And then when it gets weird, everyone knows. And so, 
So it's 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 not it's kind of like me as a person who stutters. You know, if I have a block, well, it's not weird the first two seconds, no sounds coming out. But then mm-hmm. maybe that third, fourth, fifth, it's all our experience of time. Because if I can't see the target, I'm in trouble. If I can't see the shape in the target on the hole, yeah. I'm in trouble. But that's all happening back here. So yeah, that's yeah. but isn't it funny? <laughs> well, it, it, it's definitely whatever builds comfort for you, I'm all, yeah. I'm all for it. But you know that, right? So that's that shows you've done a lot of work to understand right after a bad moment to Ward's quote, never waste a bad moment. I love that. I tell the guys I coach, like, get excited about that because then use me as your feedback loop. Let's go back and let's unpack what happened, right? But Serm, what you just described, it's so interesting. Like for me, for someone that has been invited, and I've used this example before in other episodes, I'll say it again. But I bet more people can relate to my experience where I go to Terraiti, I fly across the world, I'm playing with the guy who built the course, and I top three of my first three drives. Top? Yeah. You better believe you're starting to go through every emergency fix swing thought. And by the way, I'm on camera, Ward, and I'm being hosted, and everybody knows I'm there to shoot this video. You better believe your brain goes in a problem solving and emergency mode of thinking about everything. And then you're over that ball and it's impossible to not think, just get it in the air. Yeah. But what I would say, Ev, true right? about you, but it's true about me too. I'm getting invited to play in a tournament tomorrow. I'm the scratch. I'm playing with an eight and eight and a 12. Yeah. And they're bringing me in to a private club to be the guy. And, if and it's the expectations holes, we put on I, ourselves, right? Two of them have never seen me play. And if I make a couple bogeys, Right, right out of the gates. Right. But isn't it come funny, on, Ward, on, Mac, like, how the know. worst case scenarios are on very different scales, right? Yeah. Where the scratch is worried about maybe hooking yeah. one a little bit or making a bogey, where it's like an eight handicap or a seven, like me, is worried about being able to hit the ball, but what's right? The and that worst case scenario. What's the theme, Ward? We both would be pressing in our own yeah. right. We both start pressing. and then we and then things can spiral but here's i want to take this to the next level warren this is really good because everyone that just listened to that is like yes we've we've experienced one of those two scenarios but the problem is is they go into swing fixes and they have no idea how to fix it now you've created trauma the next round or the next time you go to the range you're working on your driver you're hitting it good and you put all this expectation that you fixed it then the next time you go to the T, you have more pressure to see and wonder if you fixed it. So let's talk about Brendan for a second. Brendan comes to you. He's hitting it, to keep me honest, 40 yards, maybe more right off the T on tour for his livelihood. A lot, a, a, 30, a lot more than 40. Missed 37 to 40 cuts in a few years. So clearly that's trauma because this is his livelihood. He's thinking about giving up the game. Largely, probably because of the driver. Where did you guys start? What was the process to start to have a new experience with this club? Well, Bradley Hughes and I, we we more or less started about the same week. We're ironically we're working with Brendan at the same time. I think Brad talked with him a week before. I That's a swing him. coach for everybody who doesn't know. Yeah, and uh, you know, awesome. Brad Brad does a lot of emphasis on the feet, and you know. Uh, how pressures in the feet are working during the swing. And Brendan really took to that. And, uh, you know, we had been talking about, you know, figuring out ways to think about the swing, think about the automatic aspects. And so instead of like really thinking in positional terms for Brendan, it became about, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to create certain feels while I'm swinging. And so our emphasis on, on, okay, let's think of those as, those are automatics. Those are the pressures um, that that we're creating in our golf swing. It's like, it's it's something that we're actively doing during every golf swing. So it's not just, we're not just trying to hit these perfect positions and, and get, get, get these perfect results, but our focus points are literally on, on creating these fields automatically. And then, you know, I think the biggest thing for Brendan and I was, you know, we we worked on his performance identity, as we talked about. 
And we really worked on what I call kind of the pre-shot feedback moment. And I basically, I just say that's just thoughts and feelings we have about potential outcomes versus, you know, a post-shot would be actual outcomes. And believe it or not, it's a really different experience for the brain to, to process something that's actually happened versus something that could potentially happen. The brain is a lot more comfortable processing the actual than the potential. And uh, that has a lot of golf implications, right, too, because we want to rush to the certainty. And we, we, um, we, you know, it takes what it takes to get to the finish line. You know, if we get there too soon, problems. If we get there too late, problems. And so a lot of what, you know, I like to say is that we defi- redefined or went to work on Brendan's relationship with, with pre-shot feedback, meaning redefining his relationship. Like, at the end of the day, these are just thoughts and feelings about potential outcomes and n- nothing more nothing less that's you know from a performance angle that's what we got to see yeah i came up with a phrase i had to repeat all the time it's just remind yourself feedback is just feedback meaning thoughts and feelings about outcomes are just thoughts and feelings about outcomes you know um and and you know we we can't really prevent that from happening that shouldn't be the purpose of dealing with it but we can strategize around it. We can, um, you know, get, get, it's kind of like a monster is behind the door that's ultimately stronger than us. We can't, we don't need to put the effort in blocking the door. We need to let the monster come through and be, be ready to get the first punch in. The, those are kind of where our strategies were at. And then, then from a performance identity, you know, I basically just said, look, you know, you still have elite reference points. You know, you don't just lose those. What happens is you get up and upside down for one reason or another in in your processes of connecting with those or you rely too much on what you've done in the past to connect with those. And you you try to go back to past versions of yourself rather than, okay, what's my best version here in 2023 with everything I've got going on in my life and what's happening now? So, you know, those three things, I think, you know, the swing clarity the performance identity and just redefining your relationship with, with um, the intensity of these thoughts and feelings about what can potentially happen and almost getting to the point where we could use that intention intensity to structure our attention. And, you know, the more the intensity got, the the more deeper in concentration we, we could get on those, those uh, swing cues. And uh, I, th- I think that's ultimately what the best do because they're all dealing with pressure and nerves but they they have their ways of channeling th- those nerves into powerful r- reminders that that help them g- g- get the job done. Yeah, it's always going to be a little twofold, right? Ev? I mean, when you're really hitting struggling off the tee, there's something physical happening. But then there's right. So Bradley Hughes comes in and all right, we got to, you know, working on lower body, working on you know probably some alignment stuff, and then obviously the things you talk about, Ward, and then being able to blend those because. That and that and that's the trick. Or do you think working on the lower body was an, a really smart strategy because it got away from manipulation of the hands and the club face, and it was something that he could focus on that was entirely different of maybe what he was trying to do when he was hitting big blocks. Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, I I, I would agree. It did work well for Brendan. It's continued to work well. You know, it doesn't mean that we've had, you know, tw- tweaks along the way and conversations. But again, just going back to conceptualizing the swing as something that you're things that you're actively creating while moving, I think um, what was key and get, got his attention back to things that that he felt a higher perception of control around. One thing that's probably worth talking about, too, is. When people are really struggling, a lot of times, like we said at the beginning, if you want to have good rhythm and good tempo, and that's helping you on the range, sometimes that's really hard to perform under pressure because your body can, smoothness is really tough when you're trying to prevent bad outcomes. So some things can happen really automatic and that stress can live in the body and your hands can get tight and your big muscles activate and It's really hard to have rhythm. The one thing that you talked about, though, Ward, was, and this seems to be a really big theme with people that are struggling. Number one, you have to remind them and verbalize who they are and what they do well, and that they haven't lost that, 
right? And a lot of times you can almost feel the relief happen in the player or yourself of just, I'm okay. I've been doing this for a long time. I still have a lot of those things that I used to have. We're just getting back. It's like that quote that he said on our podcast in episode 77, episode 70, (laughs) episode 77 (laughs) with Brendan Todd, a great one to listen to after this. If you guys like this conversation, because we talked to Brendan directly about it. So that's one is kind of resetting on who we are, but then the self-talk, I think self-talk has been coming up over and over in all these interviews. And it's something that feels so silly in the moment when you're really struggling, but it's a great, what did you call it? Way to strategically occupy your mind and help decrease some of the stress. Like for example, I'm off the first tee three weeks ago with my driver, very tight fairway. I didn't warm up. I actually said to myself, not, and not smart enough, maybe should have. I know. But Cermax real big on the warm up. Some people might laugh at this, but my thing that I said to myself was believing is seen. So I looked out at the fairway and I said, just me believing that I can hit this fairway and put a good move on it is enough. And it was the first time in a very long time, Ward, that I striped a drive down the middle. And I was like 60 yards out on the first hole in a very tight fairway with zero warm up. And that was like a real moment for me to realize like, okay, that's a great thing for me to remind myself when I'm feeling nervous is I have to believe that I can do it even when I'm uncomfortable or when I'm having doubt creep in, right? So self-talk is big. You know, that was one of the, almost the two out of the three areas you guys worked on in a way of identity and, and also belief. Yeah, you know, we, we had mantras off the course that we, we were, were big on and reminders as well as, you know, there are obviously different types of self-talk, you know, this would probably be an episode all in itself, but I'm really big, you know, when we're in our process, you know, we don't need a lot of motivational self-talk as much as we need really instructional kind of command oriented language. And mm-hmm. I tell, I work with a lot of players on, you know, you want kind of the conversation. Ultimately you're telling yourself to hit a golf shot and you want to experience yourself come through on that experience. Right. And so if you can just like under pressure, you know, kind of get the conversation to, to sound like Evan, grip the club this way, Evan, look at the target, Evan, you know, do kind of go through your tasks verbally in a command kind of oriented way. You're already getting the brain to kind of what it likes, right? It likes to experience what it's been told to do. And so if you can kind of just do that along the way into hitting a shot, you know, oftentimes it can really kind of put you more in kind of what I call kind of that automatic mode, just gets the brain going. But we're doing, we can do a lot of things in, in our pre-shot routine or process that, that can be thought of, you know, in, in those terms, especially like with putting, like, I mean, you can tell yourself some crazy stuff over short putts because, you know, it, there's no really physicality at all involved in moving a putter. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of the ultimate act of just figuring out way, ways to stay out of your way. But you know, one thing that isn't talked about enough is going into your golf group and feeling like you got something unique. You got something on your body, in your wardrobe, or in your bag that nobody else has. And to me, that's why I love Olakai golf shoes for actually one of many reasons. One, they just dropped a new Kapalua color, which is, it's called the white and bamboo. So it's white with these green strips, brown leather, and it's super, super clean. Now, obviously, the heel flaps down just like all their others. So once you're walking off the 18th green, if you want to have a little slip-on shoe and be extra comfortable to that 19th hole, you got that option. But I love all of Olakai's golf shoes because they're so comfortable. If you guys have ever had an Olakai shoe, you know their shoes are comfortable. They did that same comfort for the golf course. So I would highly recommend the Kapalua shoe. And I love the new white and bamboo color. They've got this new pale moss, molten orange color. And they've also got a charcoal in addition to their normal navy and black. So I've got the navy, the white, the gray. I can't stop getting them. So 
Tap the link in our show notes or the link in our bio at the par train on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, or now threads. Get yourself free shipping with that link. Highly recommend Olakai. Have something unique. Have people ask you, what type of shoes are those? You know, it starts a conversation. Nothing bad with that. All right, let's get back to the show. Ward, I would add too, I think there's a third component here. And I think it, it's really more for the average golfer because Brennan Todd could come off a back, bad round, bad driving day and go see Bradley Hughes on the range in five minutes. But for the normal golfer, let's just say it doesn't have access to their coach when they want them. How do you go to the range and figure it out? A lot of times after you hit the driver so bad on the course, you just want to go to the range and just make swings and prove that you can still hit it. And most of the time you can, right? But that's not really practicing, figuring out what's actually going on as opposed to, Hey, go in the range, setting some alignment sticks down, you know, simulating golf holes, you know, going through your pre-shot routine and then doing it. And I just think there's a disconnect there. I think sometimes people don't know how to practice and to, to address some of this. There's other components. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think it's a big thing. I think it gets lost when we're dealing with this. Want to get your thoughts. Yeah. Well, you mentioned alignment sticks and more or less talking about like training stations and stuff. I mean, I think obviously you're not going to have full-time access to, to a coach like tour pros do, but what you can do is kind of figure out along like with your coach or with your advisor, like, okay, give me some different training aids. Give give me some, let's figure out some ways or stations, you know, I can set up to get that really good feedback on the range, you know, that, that I'm in the right slots and everything. And what, what we can do is I like to have players, okay, set up a station and put, but, but right next to it, you know, have a, have another pile of balls and just, move between that the actual use of the aid and then hit a shot visualizing the actual yeah. use of an aid because you know if you're like you know if you're you're like visualizing like a gate path you know i i a lot of times i say you know just take two golf balls and just make a gate with golf balls you know if you want if you're working on a right path make a little right path and you know just using golf balls because you got them right there really feel yourself going through that gate and then step over and have it maybe as one of your automatic tasks. I'm going to visualize that gate. I'm going to, and I think that that can strategically occupy your mind. I love that. You, you know, add some competitive or, you know, um, try to initiate some pressure around it. I created this game. I call the part two game with scoring. Y'all may have heard about it, but basically it's just, it's using the theory that, if there are three categories of shots, you know, great shots, good enough shots, and bad shots, great golf consists mostly of what? What category? Good yeah. enough shots. Oh, sure. Great golf, Evan, not bad golf. Okay, yeah, great okay. golf. Good great enough. golf yes. consists <laughs> mostly of good enough shots. A great score yeah. that day is yeah. a, a reflection score. of a lot of good there, enough there, shots. There's some great shots, there's a lot of good enough shots, and there's minimal bad shots, okay? Yep. And so if you're in the middle of bad shots, you want to just hit so that you don't really have to make the jump to great shots. You just got to make the jump to good enough shots. And so with the scoring game, it basically rewards on the first attempt is your first shot of the hole or the scenario, and it rewards a good enough shot. And it can really develop your golf IQ just to go through the process of establishing what a good enough shot is. You can use PJ Tour statistics for a starting point. Now, obviously, the 10 handicap needs to really, you know, tour average is 25 feet from 150 yards, you know, yours might need to be 50 feet, right? For good enough. Your chipping might be not in a ring, but on the green for good enough. But the theory is in the game, like if you miss the good enough zone and you establish a good enough zone and a good zone or or a great shot zone. And if on the birdie attempt, if it's good enough, you're one under. If you miss the good enough zone, then you have to go to the great zone and you have to stay there until you hole out. So what that does, it just it simulates kind of those three kind of key experiences we're having on the golf course in terms of we're either gaining momentum, we either feel like we're losing momentum to a certain degree, or we feel like we're having to go through through that resetting. And you just continuously do that with the game, rip out the processes, rip out the things you've been working on, 
and all of a sudden you're you're kind of experiencing things that you experience on the golf course and and to do it with your buddies put a little money on the line 100 you know a dollar per stroke handicap it you know how how however you want to do but yeah i've had a lot of success with that game and um you know what i love it you can do it for every golf scenario uh bt and i do it a lot on for putting under 12 feet we do for makes and so i we do a lot of six footers play 18 holes every birdie puts a six foot six footer if he misses he has to put for par and beyond from eight feet that's a lot to deal with present yeah. and, and potential outcome right it's, exactly it's really yeah, good it's, uh, he, you know he's one of the best putters on tour i think at the deer we were we did nine holes from six to eight feet and he put he, he was eight under through nine holes so not bad not bad <laughs> so ward but your dead score might, might be two under so yeah yeah so what i'm hearing because I always try and channel the listener, right? And if I'm the listener that's really that came to this episode because they really struggle with their driver, and you're the person that messaged us and asked for this episode, they're probably wondering, like, this is a lot of great stuff. What is the best thing for me to go do? And one thing before you answer that, that I think is important from my experience to maybe add in there, is even though I'm doing a lot of good mental stuff, if I didn't learn from my coach that I'm trying to hit a draw with a fade pattern. I don't think I would have gotten into this new zone where I wasn't hitting hooks and blocks because I was outside, hands were outside my body. And unless I had perfect timing and rhythm, I'm either two on top of the ball and I hook it or the face is open and I cut across it and I block it right now for the first time ever, I'm getting comfortable with a new, my natural pattern. And I'm trying to hit cuts. And so my misses are inherently better. My belief is growing. My confidence is growing. And I'm also have a mental process so that I'm not focused. I'm focused on the right stuff. But what I've heard so far is they got to add pressure to their practice. Otherwise, you're going to keep replicating good swings on the range and put a lot of pressure for them to show up on the course. So you have to make your practice more like the course. That's what I'm hearing. One. Two is you have to understand what you're doing. And maybe some new experience and feels that get your body moving in the right direction. So that probably has to do with at least getting one lesson just on yeah. the driver. Yep. To understand what do I do under pressure? What am I doing in motion? What are some other things that a 10 handicap can do tomorrow if they've been really struggling with the driver? Yeah, I mean, you touched on swing clarity. I think I think that's huge you know you, you need to develop your way of understanding your golf swing and what 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 you're intending to do you know i think it's huge if you know if you're in how you're intending to, to what direction you're intending to move the ball well, what's your comfort zone there not fighting your comfort zone you know if you're more comfortable playing fades then then play fades don't try to hit a draw with the driver you you don't you don't need to or or, or vice versa so a, a lot would revolve around swing clarity. A lot revolve around you know a, adding um, adding pressure to practice, and then just you know as we talk about you know we're not reinventing the wheel here, but you just gotta really confine yourself you know over the ball to to some things that you feel a higher perception of control around, and you got to hold yourself to that intention regardless of the outcome, and that's hard to do. Like. You've got to almost see your process goals as the outcomes you're creating. Yep. Let those Good. process goals, you know, obviously there's always an objective outcome in golf, but you got to be able to walk away regardless of the objective outcome, asking yourself, okay, I felt a lot of tension there and I was still able to remind myself to do X, Y, and Z or X and Y, right? Holding yourself accountable to doing those things regardless of the pressure. And, you know, an, an, another thing kind of pops in my mind, you know, I'm big on, on using one to 10 scales to develop awareness, you know, rate your discomfort. If you stand over a shot, obviously, you know, we've all been, we've been at a 10, we've probably been at a one, we've been all over the place. But if you rate your discomfort, you know, at, 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 at the beginning, um, kind of, you know, I call it the playing moment, which begins like really the second your plan is made, you're really responding to the shot right then and there well before you pull the trigger you're you're priming your body you're you're sending out information versus taking it in and with that if you can remind yourself to to hold true 
to those intentions. Those are the things that you really want to assess at the end of the day. Yeah. That's it's a, great. It's a great, Last, it's a great mix of a little physical, a little mental, a little emotional. Your scorecard becomes different, right? You put your scorecard into something else instead of your score, but into something that you know will lead to good scores. Last question for me, Warder, one of my last questions, I guess, a couple more and we'll get you out of here unless Serm has one too, is as you were working with Brendan through this, I'm just curious, what were the steps back, if any, as he's injecting these new processes to his game? Were there certain things that he struggled with to commit to over time? Did he fight some of the self-talk? Because it's like, no, you don't understand. I'm I'm hitting it 60 yards right and I'm a PGA Tour pro and I'm going to quit the game. Like, we got to do something with my swing. Did he fight any of that first? I just want to humanize that experience because it's easy to see, to see in hindsight now, you guys applied some new processes. He ended up going from quitting the game to winning twice, back-to-back weeks. Now he's in the top 50 in the FedEx Cup, right? Like, what were some of those steps back or what took longer for him to learn, if anything? Well, a lot of it was around the negative thoughts, you know, in our relationship and negative thoughts. You know, one thing looking back, I had him do is like, I said, do some extra cardio and make it your intention just to think about all your negative thoughts, you know, because mm. your, your body's kind of in a good, it's a good time to think negatively because, you know, your body's fighting that negative, right? Because it's firing off all those positive chemicals, right? And so... Um, you know, we did a little of that, just like, you know, the whole yeah. notion that you can't, you know, he made a quote that I, I kind of drew on, He's, you know, before we started working together, he said, you know, when the mist gets so big, it's, in, it's impossible not to think about it. Um, and I said, uh, no, 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 he didn't say impossible. He says really difficult not to think about it. And I said, okay, Brendan, there's something different between something being really difficult and impossible. And mm. I think what you meant there is it's impossible. If something's really difficult, it might make sense to put a little effort into overcoming it. But if something is impossible, you're just wasting time in trying to overcome it. So, so I said, let's look at like negative that. thoughts as being impossible at certain points to overcome. No, to, to not happen, to keep from happening. And let's don't put the emphasis on blocking out negative thoughts. Let's put the emphasis on being strategic with them, working our attention around them. And sooner or later, you know, if we're doing the right things, they'll, they'll become less and less or, you know, in, in new forms, right? And so um, that was, you know, lo looking back, just just those small things were huge. You know, he played a lot of golf, just just out carrying his golf bag and walking by himself, kind of reconnecting, you know. With, with the game. Yeah, just, you know, I'm good at golf and I play golf and, you know, it doesn't really matter if I'm playing on tour or playing it, you know. Athens public course, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm out playing golf. And, you know, I think, I think that was another, you know, huge thing. And, uh, you know, just, just structuring our intention, uh, our attention was huge and knowing not only where we didn't want to be, but how, how, how we were going to move to where we wanted to be. No, it's a great look. It's a great look into a, a PGA yeah. tour winner. I yeah. love that word because you applied it into something else in his life, right? Like Dr. Joe Perrin, author of Zen Golf, one of the first things I ever read in the mental game when I was like 16 and yeah. I bought his book was count the number of negative thoughts you have in a round and decrease it the next time. And what yeah. that does is it raises awareness because you change your metric and yeah. you can't be negative in life and not negative on the course. It's an yeah. awareness practice that goes across everything. Right. Hey, and, and, and then one thing I wanted to say, I kind of lost my train of thought back on that previous question, but I said, you know, rate your discomfort level. And if it's an eight, the good news is you don't have to get to zero before you pull the trigger. So if, hopefully mm. the things in your process might be taking that eight discomfort, maybe to a six discomfort. And if you can, that's positive momentum to initiate mm. golf swings in. The brain doesn't need, need to get to zero in order to for things to work great. Just Love needs that. to be knocking it down. So yeah, yeah. I kind of had a brain We're, fart, lost my train of thought. That's that, great. That, that what I think an outlook that we all need to get to. I mean, maybe you guys feel different, but is that just realizing that golf is a mental battle and you have to embrace that. It just is, right? And you've got to accept that, especially certain days more than others. 
And you've got to just tell yourself, hey, I'm going to have to work a little harder today. I, this is just how it works. It's um, just the nature of the game, right? Right, sir. And it's like, yeah, you know, kind of going back to BT, I did draw a lot of examples. I'm like, you know, we, we, when your kids are out of control and they're spilling milk, is that a wanted <laughs> situation? No, that's an unwanted situation. But what do we do? We clean it up when we go to the next thing. It's just like golf. If you play golf, you're going to get unwanted moments. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Every, Last... for every round of golf is going to have unwanted moments. And if you're good at golf, you're good at dealing with unwanted moments. That's so. it. I love it. I love that. Yeah. That is such a great quote. Last thing for you, or before we let you go, anything that we talked about today that you really want to hammer home and leave people with or anything we didn't get to that you think is important that needs to be mentioned. Yeah. I mean, I think just, you know, we, 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 we've covered a, a lot of great things and I mean, there, if you are struggling off the tee, there, there is hope for you. Um, draw, you know, seek out information, like read Brennan Todd's story. Read, and Brennan, Brennan's not the only one, you know, you can read Henrik Stinson's story. of how Ricky you know, Fowler, right? Ricky Fowler, you know, Jordan Spieth in a way, you know, yeah. Jordan's re really big on, you know, he spends a lot of time with Jason Duffner. And I think Jason comes up, he's kind of a hidden figure in it all. I think he comes up with a lot of, a, a lot of these pre-swing you know routines that jordan does and just again just honing into that's his perception of control you know something mm. that he can do you know pre pre-shot so so yeah i mean golf's a game there's always something to figure out that's the beauty of it it has a pretty consistent nature in terms of we know generally what what we're going to get in terms of the types of experiences we know we're going to deal with some unwanted moments so just be pre preparing ourselves and strategizing you know with those with the certainties of the game in mind, I think is uh, where it's at. Love it. Ward That's fourth good. ride might've been wow. our best. Might've been our best ride. W, w Jarvis coaching on Instagram, wardjarvis.com. Yeah. Thank you as always for hopping aboard my man. This was great. Yeah. It's uh, great being with y'all. And I really, it's been great to see the success of the show. And um, it's uh no surprise y'all y'all started an awesome conversation uh, a couple years ago and uh the the train ain't gonna stop anytime soon maybe it's because Thanks, we've had ward on four times great maybe to see ward... shout out to our boy eric straub too for yeah absolutely getting this paducah train moving love it thanks ward all right hey guys this is evan real quick before you hop off the train i got something for you it's called the train of thought it's our new email newsletter would you like to get one nugget, insight, or thought that we're pondering every week that could help keep you sharp and help your mental game? Go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to the Train of Thought newsletter today. It's really the best way to enjoy the ride. See you guys.